My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. All right, today I'm speaking with Jeff Spirer. He is, uh, what did you say? Uh, like a hybrid athlete. Hybrid athlete. Okay, Extreme so, endurance. Yeah, so um, we'll talk about some of his, some of the uh, races that he's, that he's doing, um, raising money for different organizations, uh, really get into what, uh, what he's passionate about. But um, how he and I came to meet was I was introduced to his Facebook page and I, I read this post and just happened to be, you know, this, uh, uh, I believe, very heartfelt and it spoke to me, you know, the holidays are tough for a lot of people. I'm, I'm one of those people and, and Jeff here, he, he posted this and it, it spoke to me and I, and I reached out to him and just so happens that we were able to connect and sit down and have this discussion. And, um, you know, I'm just really thankful for our conversation the other morning. One, it got me back on uh, like a, a motivated path, say it that way. Um, and, and I'll read something that I kind of put together off of one of the comments that you made. Um, but this is the post that he, he did on November 21st. Alcohol. This is extremely hard to post, but here it goes. How do I go from saying, one, uh, saying some inspirational shit to motivating people to better themselves, pushing myself further than I ever thought I could, being proud of myself, and then going directly back into the sewer mentally? I have to take ownership of my last two months struggle. My drinking has gotten out of hand. I'm in one of the deepest depressions I've ever been in. Regardless of how others may view me, I feel powerless and worthless. This isn't a pity party. I don't feel sorry for myself. I got complacent. At this point, the last three years of sobriety from drugs doesn't mean shit. In my arena of addiction, alcohol is a drug and it starts to become a problem. I'm back to day one. When some depression started to set in, I turned to alcohol and have derailed my whole routine. I'm struggling. Priorities are fucked. Mentality shattered. Who am I? If I'm not thinking clearly, how can I be a leader? I can't. I didn't hold the line. I dropped the ball in several areas of life. I know what my purpose is, but I'm human. I make mistakes. I have moments of weakness. Addiction is powerful. Every time I thought my depression was letting up, I would drink and I would plummet further into that darkness. I've tried different things to make myself feel better, but it was all the wrong things. The only way I can be an effective leader is by taking ownership of this issue and sharing the journey. 
Part of making an impact is being able to share the worst part of the journey. I'm not here to share just the good. I share the good and the bad and everything in between. Without the bad, you can't appreciate the good. This definitely isn't my most proud moment to share. This is just some adversity and challenges to add to the cookie jar. I'm going to put the work in and get better and stronger. Now, for those of you listening and, and not watching the, the YouTube video, you can't see him, but he's, he's a freaking beast. Um, and you're, you're an army veteran, 12 years, you were a combat engineer. Um, how many months did you do in country over there in Iraq? Um, so it was an 18 month deployment. We did 12 months boots on ground. <clears throat> 12 months boots on ground. Um, uh, we worked with uh, EOD, uh, EOD escort, and we also did uh, route clearance missions. I was also um, a vehicle gunner as well. So, yeah, and and I I just know um, well from talking to you and and talking to the the person that introduced me to you that uh, you guys saw a lot of shit over there, and. Um, and so thank you for your service and, uh, and, you know, for the veterans that are listening to this, um, the, the people that are struggling, it's a journey, you're going to have ups and downs. And I'm hoping that the story that you're about to hear and the, and the conversation you're about to hear will, will help you uh, refocus your energy and, and use some of what you're going through as fuel to take you to a much higher level. And, and so the other morning when we spoke and we were like kind of setting up a time to do this interview, one of the things that you said was, you know, that you consider yourself to be spiritual, not religious. And um, you're like, you know, I, I love trees. They're pretty and shit. They, you know, they take my carbon dioxide and, and give me oxygen to breathe. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I thank them for what they do for me. But if one is in my way, I'm going to cut that motherfucker down. And, uh, and I was like, man, that's, so this is what <laughs> I build on it. Uh, and I haven't read this, so it might sound stupid, <laughs> but I'm thankful for the trees because they breathe my carbon dioxide and give me oxygen. They give me shade and something beautiful to look at. That being said, if one becomes an obstacle, I will cut that motherfucker down and use it to build a ladder to climb over the next obstacle. I'll use it as fuel for my fire that keeps me warm, cooks my food, and gives me light. Using that perspective, any obstacle in your path is only an obstacle because that is how you are viewing it. It ceases to be an obstacle when you focus on how that tree is going to serve your future needs. It made me think a lot of how my mindset had shifted um, and, you know, feeling down, feeling that depression and uh, allowing that to kind of shape my views on what was going on. Um, and we can dig deeper into, you know, our experiences and stuff, but I, I want to get a sense of, well, who you are, what influenced this path that you're on or influenced you to take this path that you're on. And, and um, you know, you, you told me that you were born and raised in Louisiana. You, you made a decision 
to to sign up uh, to go in the guard and and um, work hurricanes and <laughs> and make some money for college essentially. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. And then you got deployed, and you were just telling me you did twelve years, and that and within that twelve years, you were able to achieve the high rank of E four. I was a career. I was a career specialist. <laughs> So, but there's use a, there's I a, use a name behind that, right? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. You know, I mean, I, um, for, for six years, I was practically in a, um, an inactive reserve state due to, um, injuries and stuff like that. Medication that, that I'd been given that messed up, um, my leg caused, uh, I developed compartment syndrome after I returned back from Iraq, I was really struggling with, um, uh, like night terrors and stuff like that, right? Well, <clears throat> I was also struggling with PTSD and I had no idea what the hell it was. I had no idea what the hell was going on. I got back, I uh, went to work Katrina. My life just started like falling apart. Um, you know, I was going through, a, or, or I already went through a divorce. Um, I got married on May 9th of 2004, and I got deployed May 15th, 2004. I believe we returned like September 21st, 2005. Um, and I wasn't quite 21 yet. I was, I think I was 20. We go to this process, like I can't remember if it was some kind of out processing or something like that at Camp Borgard or drill. And I just went off the charts, got into it with a, um, a sergeant major. And I don't know, I don't remember too much of the situation. It was so long ago, so many drugs, so much drinking in between. And I was just not in the right state of mind at the time. But I went from there to Bain Jones Army Hospital where I was prescribed uh, Risperdal um, whenever I left, so I start taking the Risperdal to um, help my behavioral health issues and stuff like that, right? And the night terrors. Well, one night in the middle of the night, my leg is just like in excruciating pain. Um, and it looks like I have a huge knot sticking out of my leg where my anterior tibialis is. If you don't know what that is, um, that's where you develop or you feel like you have shin splints at the muscle on the outer the front of, front part of your leg um, controls the dorsiflexion of your foot oh throughout the night it just started to get worse I couldn't move my foot um, and the, the knot was just getting bigger and bigger well I had to call my dad to come pick me up because I, I was in a standard and I couldn't shift the car because I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't use my foot and it hurt so bad. I'd, I'd even go in and bought a five pound bag of ice to like try and make it numb. And it just hurt so bad. I just, I couldn't do it. They come took me up and bring me to the hospital and all that stuff. And I, I ended up going to a few different hospitals because they were like, oh, I don't really see anything wrong at the first hospital. We go to the next hospital. They stick this um, like gauge into into my anterior tibialis. And he's like, man, you've got to, we've got to rush you in for emergency surgery. They bring me in for surgery and they do a fasciotomy 
on the leg and then open it all the way up. I was going to hyperbaric treatment. Um, I guess that's what it's called, hyperbaric, uh, yeah, treatment. Mm -hmm. And that puts you in a atmosphere of like, I don't know, 10 times the oxygen that we have just in the air. It's a, a fast way of healing. Well, while I'm in there, I couldn't go to drill. I couldn't, you know, attend um, unit, uh, the unit training and stuff like that. Couldn't put boots on. Couldn't really wear jeans or anything like that because of what was going on with my leg and you know the the open wound. So the I got I got marked AWOL, and I lost my Tricare benefits. Um, and from that, paperwork got backdated, um, and it had this huge debt payment. Well, in the in the process of all this stuff, I lost Tricare, so I could no longer go to hyperbaric treatment anymore. Um, once I couldn't go to the hyperbaric treatment anymore, the muscle, I had no wound care, you know, so I was not, it, the muscle became gangrenous and necrotic. And then the next time that I went back in, the muscle was black, right? Like they start trying to like debreed it and stuff like that. And I mean, they're just like tearing muscle out of my leg. Then they hit, they finally hit some like live stuff or whatever. And I mean, I went off the rails freaking out blood's like pouring out of my leg he's like man we've got you've got to go back into surgery or whatever and then so this next surgery they remove the muscle they amputate the muscle out of my leg and then I come out and my doctor stuttered a little bit and we had one of the greatest relationships he was very vulgar he was an awesome guy Dr. Mayer um and he goes you know I almost had to cut your fucking leg off <laughs> you know <laughs> and I mean I was like Man, if you'd cut my leg off, I think I would have broke your arms. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't mean, I love the guy, man. Yeah. He, we had such a cool relationship, him and I, you know, um, and <clears throat> his, him and his son, they, they were, they, they worked together or his son worked for him or whatever, Fred, and they were some of the most amazing people. You know, they helped me through that, that time, but I was so young that I didn't really know. I was so resent, you know, resentful towards everything that was now starting to take place because I was a track at I was you know also a track athlete in high school so this kind of hung up my track career I was told I would never really run again you know and things like that so uh that was the first part of injuries that that took place with my leg and then later on I got into a motorcycle accident shattered my femur and now I have a, a rod in my leg so I'm cut from my hip all the way down this side <clears throat> and then I have several different spots where they put the screws in. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to my knee, then I'm cut from my knee all the way down to my ankle. So this whole leg is just like, I mean, they should probably just cut it off. Give me a new one. Give me a little <laughs> springy one. <laughs> to, to say that I went from there and then, you know, uh, how bad PTSD really started to affect me later um, with the addiction and, you know, like I, I started drinking a hell of a lot. Like uh, the pain pills that they put me on for my leg and stuff like that was just like the beginning. You know, I was drinking, I would take a pain pill and then I would drink a couple of beers. And I was like, this is the only relief that I have. And I started to get really numb. And then it went from that to cocaine and ecstasy and stuff like that. And then I found meth. So now I've had a different type of numbness. 
I could literally smoke or shoot up my way into never going to sleep again, or I say never going to sleep again, but now I didn't need a medication to um, keep me from going to sleep. And then whenever I would go to sleep, it would be like seven days later, eight days later. And I am not exaggerating, man. I'm talking like seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 days that I would go without sleeping. And then whenever I would go to sleep, you skip that rim state. You're not going to hit a dream, you know, or anything like that. And the next thing you know, you wake up like 18 hours later or whatever, you know, <clears throat> and then start the whole process over again. Uh, throughout the course of 13 to 15 years, I was in and out of incarcerations, um, institutions, you know, psych wars and stuff like that several times. Um, I intentionally overdosed twice, um, <clears throat> flatlining and stuff like that, waking up in, in ICU uh, and then having to go to a psych ward after that for whatever amount of time. I mean, I think at one point in time, dude, I spent like three months in a, in a psych ward or like between different psych wards. Like I go to one because actually I was incarcerated one of the times that this took place, um, not the suicide, but this is one of the times that I was incarcerated, I ended up going to a treatment facility, a detox facility, I'm sorry. And from that detox facility, you're only allowed to like the insurance would only pay for you to be in there for, um, and I had social security. So I had whatever is tied to that Medicaid, care or whatever i don't know one's old people and then the other one's like disability <clears throat> they would only pay for you up to like 16 days so i went from one detox facility to another detox facility to another and then these people are getting paid so it's all good but in order to continue it to keep me from having to go back to jail and possibly go to prison these people because i wasn't a bad person and they would see the, the work that I was putting in and how hard I was trying in these programs and my writing and everything else like that, the journaling that I was doing. And I wasn't exactly a bad person. No, I don't think that people are general, people just generally aren't bad people. They just get put in situations where they do bad things. They make bad choices or whatever in the positions that they're in. It's like a a thing of survival, you know, like a protection type deal, I guess you could say also. I mean, there are bad people out there, but. So, you know, I bounced around like that for like, like two or three, I would say two or three months because for like a month and a half, I was in between these facilities. And then I went to the VA in Biloxi. And then I got kicked out after about like a month, another month and a half, maybe almost two months. So I was gone for a total of, I did like, I was locked up for like maybe two weeks before I got picked up and put into that, <clears throat> to that facility. And then I was like in and out of programs for again, another month and a half. And then I did another, I think it was like two months. So, I mean, like four and a half, five months gone into like different, you know, facilities through the course of that's happened so, so many times that I don't even, I don't even, I can't even remember you know, and then the, the suicide attempts and all this stuff or this intentional overdoses. Um, and with that, like, I went through all that stuff and, you know, I, I think that where I'm at now, I'm very grateful for all those, all the, and it's so hard 
to understand and to be, to find a way to be grateful for those things because you don't understand it in the, in the time of it, right? Like you don't understand that when you are going through something like that, the benefit that it could have for you because either it's going to make you or it's going to break you. We were just talking about that a little while ago as far as like what happens through adversity or like challenges and stuff like that. I can't remember exactly what verbatim what we said, but when it's like being forged in fire, you know, either the tough times are going to make you or they're going to break you. Well, in addiction, in people going into the system and excuse me and, and stuff like that, you have a 25, less than 25% chance, a less than 20% chance, somewhere between there, of ever overcoming any of that stuff. It's the same thing with like treatment and stuff like that. You have, you're, you have over a 75% chance that you're going to stay stuck in that addiction. So that's, the, that's the, the key. And then the people from there are way less than that that's ever going to take their life and then really do something with it. You know what I'm saying? Like go on to, you know, helping others or whatever. Some of them are they're just going to find a way to try to be sober. They're not going to really be able to inspire others. They're not going to, because it's very hard to share those, those dark and, and twisty parts of your life. It's very hard to, to go into that avenue and then be authentic and transparent and stuff like that, because there's so much judgment in today. It's so hard to say, I don't give a fuck what you think about me. I'm here to share my story. And that's actually what propelled me more than anything was like when I was locked up and stuff like that. And I started just kind of talking about my story just around people that I was close to. And I have guys that'll call me now that were locked up with me. And they're like, yo, gee, you remember, you remember when we were sitting in the child hall and you said, man, I'm never fucking coming back to this place. I'm going to do something with my life. And he's like, dude, you were the only motherfucker that I know that did that. Everybody else either goes back to the streets, they might stay sober or whatever for a little while and they come right fucking back. It's so easy once you go into the system to come, like to stay there, to continue to go back. You, it's, it's, it's so hard to come out of it and then get away from it because whenever I got out, I had warrant after warrant after warrant after warrant. I'm like, where in the fuck is this shit coming from? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, dude, I'm trying to live my life right. How come, how can this, like, and the, I had the old feelings that would come back. Man, I was really good from running. I was, I mean, really good at running from the cops. I was very good at running from the cops. The only way they caught me was that I went to sleep. <laughs> you know, I was fucking tired, man. <laughs> Five and a half years as a fugitive. And, and you know, freaking constantly looking over my shoulder dude whenever i woke up that day and they had you know the the sheriff's officers and swat team and stuff like that in my house and surrounding the bed i was like i was crying a little bit you know and i was like man it's fucking over it's fucking over i'm so tired dude i was 160 something pounds i'm six foot two you know what i'm saying i look i look bad i look really bad and you know, going, going to jail, I had reserves initially. Um, I didn't, I didn't really care to live that way at the time, but after about three months, uh, and I was brought in for sentencing, the judge offered me 
a hundred dollar bond and like probation. So I had the, the, the paid attorney in there and stuff like that. And he came and talked to me and he was like, man, he said, uh, you know, you've got this, this is the deal, hundred dollar bond probation. And I was like, well, what if I don't take either one of them? What if I just sit, you know? And he was like, man, so you're not going to come out? I'm like, I mean, what's it going to take for me to just come out not on paper? I don't owe anything. I was like, look at my track record. I don't do a very good job of coming to court. Yeah. You know, I've got the warrants. I've got the few, you know, all this stuff. I don't go to court. I prefer to come out on a clean slate where I don't owe any time or anything like that. And the judge was like, the law. So whenever he brought that to the judge and he comes back and he says, you know, he's like, dude, the judge is like, in, in all his years of being a magistrate, like he's never seen anybody just say, no, nah. you know, I was like, man, I'm turning my life around in here. I've been down for like three months at this point. Um, I'm in a program. I'm trying to turn my life around. This is what I want to do. Like, I want to be better. I want to be a different person. I want to get out. And I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, but like, I need, I need to sit. I need some more clean time. I need, you know, like I, I've been clean for like three months and I don't want, if I just, at this point, my house had been broken into, I lost everything I had, you know, I mean, they even stole the sheets off my bed, you know, like my house had been several, just, just my house was destroyed. They you know? must have been some pretty nice sheets, huh? Oh yeah, probably not. <laughs> I mean, not by the time, I, uh, you know, like, <laughs> uh, so, so I sat and he gave me like six months credit for time served. So in the five and a half years, I'd done like two weeks. So with that two weeks, I only had to do like another two, two and a half months. So I did five and a half months total because a six month sentence, I did five and a half months on this. I accidentally got sent to prison one time. I mean, through this course of time, I went over there for like five or seven days or something like that. I went to River, River Bend Detention Center. Third day there, <clears throat> I got beat really bad by a guard. And, um, and then a few days later, they sent me back to Lafayette. Again, you could take, you could look at that situation and say, man, y'all can't do that to me. You know, it's not right to do that to a person, right? Like I didn't pick it. It was all behind, I wasn't supposed to be on the top bunk because of the PTSD and the TBI, the night terrors and stuff like that. I'm a bottom bunk profile in jail. Well, the guard was like, you know, fuck all that. You're gonna get on the top bunk. Where's your medical stuff? I'm like, man, get my medical, go check my packet. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, but we were gonna be going to medical on Monday. It was like the next day, you know, and he was just being a dick, you know? But the way, and so, with all that being said, I get maced. I lose vision in my eye from the, the spray that he hit me with and stuff like that. They threw me in, um, in a shower, you know. Uh, and if you've ever been maced and you use, you're supposed to use cold water to rinse it. Whenever you use hot water, it opens up the pores and it really activates. It was a very interesting situation. Yeah. But, um, I mean, they were the guys were taking like, water out of the cooler with ice cubes in it and like just holding my eyes open and like pouring it in there like that they were like taking baby powder and blowing baby powder in my face to like try and 
<clears throat> to try and like, you know, um, neutralize it. The point behind saying that is I don't want to ever put my life um, in, someone is, in someone else's hands like that again, right? I could say, you should have never did this to me. Yeah, of course you shouldn't have. But had I not lived the way that I was living, I would have never been in that situation. So that's the victim's mentality. Like, man, this happened because of, you know, whatever. So I took, I've been trying to take extreme ownership. Like, I didn't even know what extreme ownership was yet. I didn't know who Jocko was yet. I didn't know who Andy Priscilla was yet. I didn't know who David Goggins was, Greg Plitt, all these guys that when I got out of jail, <clears throat> I ended up going to um, the facility in Biloxi for PTSD and TBI treatment. While I was there, I started hearing these motivational videos from like Greg Plitt, Andy Priscilla, which is the CEO of the company that like that I'm affiliated with, with First Form, Jocko, David Goggins, um, Dr. Miles Monroe, Les Brown, Eric Thomas, all these guys. And I started to adopt their mentalities. I was like, you know, ownership and like using your past for fuel, turning it into passion. I hate running. I have no idea why I run. No, I, actually I do. That's a lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I run because it puts me on a different vibration. It's something that I don't enjoy, but I do it anyway because of the mental clarity and toughness that it helps me develop. That's why I run because it gives me way more than I ever give it. I don't give shit to running. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't finish first in any kind of races, but what I do whenever I go out there is I visualize you know, my life and I visualize my goals and I visualize like all these different adversities and challenges and stuff that I've gone through. And life, it's a direct reflection of life. I find that running, whenever I add distance to it, life is the greatest endurance race you'll ever participate in. And it's just like running for me, a hundred mile race or a hundred mile run or an endurance, whatever when you intentionally put yourself in uncomfortable situations, then an uncomfortable situation hits you. It's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. It's self-created chaos and struggle. And that builds mental toughness to go forward. You know, if you have the intestinal fortitude to put yourself in these extremely tough situations, you come out better on the other side of it with a different mentality. You change your perspective, you change, <clears throat> the way you see everything, your views, and just the way that you feel about yourself. One of the things that um, I find really interesting is that, well, one, when, when you came back from Iraq and you're, you're suffering with a, a TBI, PTSD, night terrors, all this stuff, I'm curious about this because... You know, I've struggled with PTSD for a while now. And in the beginning of like what I was dealing with, I felt like I was alone. Like nobody could understand what I was going through. Talking with somebody was just going to piss me off because they didn't understand me. You know, they didn't understand 
what I was feeling. How could they, right? Is that something familiar to you? I mean, when you came back, I mean, did you kind of feel isolated in a sense? A hundred percent. As humans, we're very selfish creatures, very greedy, you know, very in tune with how we feel and stuff like that, right? So I 100% felt that, you know, and, and, and the reason that I said the thing about selfish or like, you know, greedy individuals and stuff like that, because when we're feeling hurt and we feel like nobody else feels like what we feel, but everybody else should feel our pain. Yeah. But that's also, you know, the majority of people, I mean, pretty much everybody deals with some kind of PTSD from a trauma in their life. If you think about any individual, there's a situation in their life when they feel like there's not a motherfucker in the world that went through that mm -hmm. based on the amount of stuff that they've been through in their life, right? Like the more trauma you go through, the more that you realize there's other shit that didn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that wasn't that bad because this right here was fucking terrible. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if you go and you get into like a, a fender bender, oh my God, this is the worst ever. But you go and you get into an accident and everybody dies in it. Oh, well, that wasn't shit. Yeah. And then your brain kind of blocks that other stuff out. Now you have this one, right? Like you have this trauma to deal with. Or people have like abusive childhoods that they would deal with or like, you know, just whatever, right? I felt like I was very alone. I think the majority of people that have PTSD or, you know, like going through trauma, there's everybody feels very alone at some point. Yes, of course, I felt alone. I resented everybody that was around me that didn't have to go to combat or that didn't, you know, if, if you didn't even have a combat position, I was like, oh, you didn't do shit. And we talked about earlier, man, that was a very wrong mentality to have. All you have to do is be in tune or like be care enough about a situation where you can just hear about your friends getting killed and have survivor's guilt. Like, man, I can't believe, like, I should have done something else. Or I couldn't, there's, I couldn't do anything to help my friends. I couldn't be there for them. I couldn't, I did feel extremely alone. And when you feel extremely alone, I like, so for me, that's where like the super suicidal feelings came from. Well, I know quite a few people just through doing this podcast and, and people that I've worked with throughout the years, you know, struggling with PTSD, people develop these self-destructive behaviors and some will take it to the extreme mm -hmm. and like you seem to be a pretty extreme dude <laughs> yeah my my mentality of going to the extreme for me is kind of like how i find satisfaction in my addiction it was the same way like i didn't just snort meth or i didn't just drink alcohol like i had to get fucked up Right. You know what I'm saying? Like when I would drink, that was the goal. Right. It wasn't to, oh yeah, man, you want to go have a drink? No, it was, we're getting fucked up, you know? And it's the same thing with my running career or like any event that I do, I'm like, oh, I can't really scale back the workout. I'm going to have to go ham. I'm going to have to try to like really go hard. Um, so in my registered races, uh, I get out of the VA September, November Veterans Day. I run my first 5K run. 
Um, I was still smoking cigarettes at that time. I ran the 5K run and I quit smoking cigarettes like a week later. I was like, fuck this. Shit is not really, they don't go together yeah. like PB and J. <laughs> uh, through this course of from September to February, I, I have like 5K, 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 5K. My next registered race was a hundred miler. There was no half marathon. There was no 10K. There was no marathon. There was no 50K. There was no 50 miler. There was 40, nothing. It was like 10 months later, less than a year running, I completed my first hundred mile official race, got my belt buckle and everything like that. 33 hours, 45 minutes and 17 seconds was my finish time. My longest run prior to that. Hold on a second. Like why? Like this is for all the people out there that would never ever consider doing that. That's the big question. Like, why would you do that? Like, why, why put your body through that hundred mile race? Like, did you have friends that were doing it? Or um, I had some friends that had done it, but I'd heard David Goggins talking about it. And I was like, he swore, like he said, I found myself when I did my first hundred miler. I needed to find out what I was capable of. I needed to find out who I was. Like I've got all these, all this trauma and all these injuries to my leg. You'll never run again. Motherfucker, watch me. Now, sometimes I do things just because I probably shouldn't. <laughs> Cause I'm that much of a fucking rebel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like that's what that's that's how much I believe in myself. When somebody tells me, you can't do that, man. Motherfucker, you're going to eat those words. Yeah. You're going to, I'll, and I heard Goggins say this too. I will run damn near across the world and make sure you see me doing it. Just to run in front of you. Like you're going to, you're going to, yeah, you're going to see that. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to, you know, but so I just, I didn't know what I was capable of. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. You know, before I did that hundred miler, I had done this event. So I started this event two years ago. We just did it for the, the second, um, for the second time this past May. I call it set 22. That stands for strength and endurance training. What that in, uh, entails is a hundred mile cycling, a marathon distance run, 26.2 miles, and then a 200 pound tractor tire flip for a mile. And that's roughly like 600 and something flips. The first, uh, so I do all this in 24 hours or less, right? And it's always that I, I, I do that to raise money for veteran nonprofits. So like the first year I did it for Mission 22, uh, raised $10,245. Um, and the second year we raised like 19996 We doubled it. I had no idea. Like I was like, how in the hell? Like, are we going to match last year? Because last year I had a $5,000 sponsor step up. But MD Turbines, and I had another another sponsor for, um, I say sponsor, a donor for $1,000. And so that was $6,000 that was donated between two companies. You know what I'm saying? MD Turbines and then Tilba Hollow Project in the first year. And the rest came from individuals. The second year, we had 17 or 18 sponsors. None of them went over a thousand dollars. And that's how much the impact changed. The first year we only had three people that were running in it. 
or that were participating in it. The second year, there were about 50 to 60 people that, and some people like 15 people flew in um, and came and participated and stuff like that. That made the event and it also helped make, make the event grow. And I'm extremely grateful of the support that I've received through. Like that's actually, that event is what helped me really, I guess, birth my mentality. That was the first thing that actually like, man, I can do anything. You know, flipping that tire for a mile, like torn all my skin, the skin off my hands and stuff like that. My hands were bleeding. My hands were tore up and stuff like that, you know, and I just kept flipping. And I was like, I mean, you can do anything you want, man. You just got to put your mind to it. When you put your mind to it, the body will make an adjustment and you'll continue to go. If you, you know, I always take quitting off the table, especially if it's like an official run or official race or something like, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill myself on a training run. But if it's got like a time attached to it, if it's got a purpose attached to it, I'll I'll die first and then I'll quit. My heart's got to stop first. That's what I believe in. That's that's the way that I live my life. Because like the times that I try to commit suicide and the times that you know all this, I went when you're addicted to drugs and you're selling drugs or whatever, you will do anything. You'll drive dates away to be able to grab something to come back and make 25 bucks maybe that's not anybody but the way that the addiction was and the way that 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 i was and stuff like that i would do anything to make a dollar i didn't give a shit what it was like i would do this and then like let's just say the overhead was if it was going to cost me 700 bucks to make a hundred dollars to make 800 you know what i'm saying like to get and you're going to basically only have $100 extra after that? Well, fuck it. I'm going to do it. To me, it makes sense. If it makes money, it makes sense. And at that time, that's how I grinded. That's how, it was just a nonstop, you know, whatever. So if I can invest that much energy into fucking my life up, what if I invested that much energy into trying to fix it? Or what if I invested that much energy into trying to make the world a better place? Or what if I invested that much energy into showing you that you can push your body so much harder and further than you ever thought that you could imagine or like that you ever thought you could? I've got periods in time, man, where like I blew, <laughs> I blew my back up. Like um, I, I had here recently at the Honor Games and shit like that, like I strained my back the day before but this was a community event. And to me, it had a lot of nonprofits that were, you know, attached to it that I care a lot about. And this community is like so supportive. And I just absolutely love the community that I'm a part of. And I love the people that are in it. And <clears throat> when my back, like, it was so spasmed and shit like that. Like, I didn't know how I was going to get through this event. And I was nervous because whenever there's people out and there's kids watching and I'm talking the day, just the day before I gave a speech in front of these middle schoolers talking about take quitting off the table. It's never an option. You know what I'm saying? There is no option out like with quitting, quitting. There's nothing on the backside of quitting. Right. Greatness is on the other side of pain and, and overcoming and stuff like that. I was scared what I was going to have to, what I was going to do to myself to get through that event. Like, I didn't give a shit. Nobody's going to see me quit. I don't care if I have to like crawl up every, every burpee, or I don't care if I have to stand up and then pick the tube up or whatever, and then go into my, whatever it takes, man, I'm not going to quit in front of these people. I'm not going to quit on my community and I'm not going to quit on this event. I'm going to give you everything I got. 
I give everything I have to everything I'm involved in. And that's the way that I believe. That's the way that I fight. That's the way that, <clears throat> that's what, you know, I did when I was in Iraq. I didn't, you know, I, I don't have to know the, the, the purpose of why I'm out there. I just have to fight for the man on my, on, on my left and my right. That's the way that I view every, everything that I do and my community and the people that I run with and, you know, um, anybody that supports me and stuff like that. That's why I continue to push myself because I want to show them, you know, what, not just not what I'm capable of, but what what it is whenever you never quit. When is your next event that you're doing? Um, so I have a short run at the end of the month. Um, it's a, it's an ultra marathon. It's called Round the Bay uh, Relay and Ultra. It's like 36.8 miles. Um, that's going to be a nice little base run for me. And then the next month we have um, Bear, Bear Bait Ultras. Uh, I'm probably going to sign up for like the 100K, which is like a 62.137 mile run. And February 5th, um, there's the Forgotten Florida 100, which is right outside of Orlando. Uh, in Christmas, Florida, and that's a hundred miler. That's going to be my next hundred mile. That's my next big, my next big run. And then um, May, or I'm sorry, March, we're going to try to set up my, uh, the set 22 event. We're going to have a few changes to location of where it was performed and stuff like that. The last time we're going to move it to, um, to a different, different location, but it's going to be here in Destin. Can you talk a little bit about the these nonprofits that that you're raising money for um, and why why it's so important to you to raise money for these organizations so healing pause for warriors um what they do is they get um uh, animals that are in the shelter and they get them trained uh with a veteran um, as a service animal. So <clears throat> basically you're saving two lives at the same time. To me, that's just an awesome cause. Cause you know, you, again, you're getting a dog out of the shelter. You're putting to me, the way that I look at it is like you, you're putting two broken individuals together to, 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 to heal each other. There was a, converse, a conversation I had recently. I was talking to this person who was telling me about, well, how common it is for people with, you know, severe PTSD, you know, they're, they're suicidal. There's that just, there's that pit that you, you find yourself in and you, you lose hope and you feel like you really don't have a purpose. That's, that's been like one of the questions on my mind, like how, how to help somebody find their purpose again, because everybody has a purpose. And it's when people give up, like when, when they feel like they don't have a purpose, it's so much easier to give up mm -hmm. on, on life, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm curious, like, We've had some really deep conversations and I'm, I'm just curious, I'm just spitballing, like in, in your mind, like one of your, your buddies from Iraq or somebody that you are very close to now um, finds themselves in that spot. Like, what would you say to them? I know for me with my PTSD, whenever, this stuff recently came up like before i wrote that post 
I had somebody ask me, they said, what's your trigger? And if you don't know what a trigger is, it's like something that's said or something that happens that, man, I just wake up sometimes and I'm like, my life really is meaningless. I'm just a speck in this world. I don't really create an impact in it. Or do I really create an impact? What's the reality behind it? You know what I'm saying? Like what, do I really, you know, contribute to my community or society or, or whatever, or, or like, you know, I, it's just the way that my brain works with the, the imbalances and the chemicals and stuff like that from the damage that we have, right? Like it's just, if it's not processing stuff correctly, you don't know what, I mean, the brain is just not something that you can exactly predict. I think that it starts like the first, for me, if I'm moving and I'm exercising and stuff like that, that is really how I feel better. On those long runs, that's where I battle my demons. That's where I meditate. That's where I get, you know, I find like mental clarity. I find peace. I feel like on these long runs, I'm in a different vibration. Whatever your spiritual, religious or whatever, you know, uh, mindset is like, I believe in God. I believe in a bunch of different things, though. But I do believe in God. I do believe Jesus Christ walked the earth. I do believe, you know, I do believe in that. I am Christian, but I have different beliefs also. Because of the way that I think and the way that I, like, meditate, like, I don't pray to Buddha or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I'm not, like, worldly like that. But I set my intentions and the good really always overpowers the bad but the bad does make me really appreciate the good like those dark times when i'm really low um one thing that i do is i do things that i don't like to do and the more that i do the things that i don't like to do the easier it is for me to come out of those dark situations like whereas i just had like a three-month depression that three-month depression might have caused me to really go back and relapse like relapse in a different way with drugs and just like say, fuck everything. But I didn't say fuck everything. Every day I was on my story on Instagram or whatever. And I was sharing like the supplements that I take, trying to get in some movement. I still got in movement. I did the things that I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do any of that. I didn't want to share my journey with it. And I do share my journey with everybody. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because without the bad, you can't appreciate the good. If shit was good all the time, well then, what a boring life that would be you wouldn't be mentally strong anywhere right people are like oh I'm, I'm praying for strength watch when life challenges the fuck out of you that's basically what you're asking for you know like whenever i set my intentions you know like you don't see successful people hating on or if you do they're not going to be successful very long anyway but really successful people don't try to make themselves look better by putting other people down, right? Like, I know I'm kind of getting away from the, but it's like part of what I'm saying is like, it's part of setting intentions, like with the universe, with God, with whatever you believe in, you should always wish the best for everybody around you. Even if they fuck you over, whatever, don't fuck with them anymore. That's just clarity, yeah. You're right? Yeah. It's like, but don't say, I wish that motherfucker was dead. Don't say, I want like some really bad shit to happen to you. Just let life fucking take care of that because life's going to take care of that. Uh, in my belief, when you want everybody to win, that's what the universe is going to give you. If you truly feel positive, you're going to get positive, right? Like 
That's why I want everybody to win. But if somebody, <laughs> something bad happens to me, like somebody does me wrong or something like that, I don't go and say, yeah, man, I hope you fucking end up in a sewer or some shit like that. <laughs> I'm just like, man, that was clarity. That was, you know, I, I got that one, man. You know, mm -hmm. Roger that. But the universe can't recognize the difference between wanting somebody to fail and you wanting yourself to succeed. So when you wish bad on somebody, the universe doesn't necessarily recognize Oh, okay. Well, we're going to make this happen for this person. Like this is going to be bad, but then we're going to propel you over here, man. Just, just go forward trying to create that positive, that positive light and good things are going to happen. If you just focus on the, the solid things in life, you focus on a path as hard as it may be. When you look at the change your perspective in life and open your mind to the reality that if you just put in effort, good things will come your way. As hard as it may seem, sometimes you've got to be the hardest motherfucking worker in the room. You're not going to see a ton of results. But if you just stay consistent with putting in the work, journaling and doing this stuff, man, the sun's going to shine. The sun will come down and get it. And I know I kind of got away from the, the whole PTSD thing or whatever. But for me, that's what's helped me through my PTSD is wishing good. And you know, waking up with a gratitude list, I, like what would I recommend? I would recommend a person waking up and writing down 10 things that they're grateful for every day. That'll change your state of mind. Something bad happens, looking for a positive in it. But if you don't change your perspective of, so this depression that I just went through, I shared, I shared my journey the whole way through it, right? Or kind of shared my, my journey the whole way through it. But then all of a sudden when I took ownership of everything, my life started to change. I was actually scared to make that post. That's why the first thing I said was, this is not an easy post for me to make because I didn't know. And at that time, I didn't know what friends I would lose or whatever. I received so much support from making that post and taking ownership and taking responsibility for what I was going for, what I was going through, that I think people even respected me more for taking the ownership and saying, you know, man, I'm, I'm human. I make some mistakes. Like, no, I wasn't drinking from sun up to sundown or whatever. But to what I thought was a problem, it was because I was starting to drink and looking for excuses to drink. And I was like looking for reasons to be numb and deal with this, you know, PTSD and, and depression that was coming up. Because for me, whenever I drink, there's a like, there's a fine line of like this, like euphoria of feeling really good. And then tanking and being like going into like a, a very dark place yeah. of like crying and then like being, you know, extremely emotional or like saying some shit that I really don't want to say. Like, it's not fun waking up the next morning and being like, oh, what the fuck did I say last night? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not fun, man. And so like I've, I've, I've at that point, I had made a goal for myself that I was going to stop drinking for the whole next year. So you know what the universe did? Okay, so I fucking went down this path. I kind of like had way too much to drink one night, overdid it, and it just made those goals really fucking clear for me. Now I see that. Now I see that. I see, okay, I got put in this position. I put myself in this position, right? But it's kind of like the the like uh, situation took place. I go to a bar. I was just, all I meant to do was go and have a couple of drinks. 
and I ended up having way more than a couple. Put me in a position where I like really regretted that, but then now I don't really regret it. I'm very grateful for it because of what it's done for me as far as clarity, where it put me with not wanting to drink and being like, okay, that's not actually propelling me towards my goals. That's actually pushing me away from my goals. And when I drink like that at all, it also affects my performance and it affects me in a really negative way. And it takes me out of my athlete game. It doesn't allow me to perform optimally. Whenever I look at my recovery or my whoop and stuff like that, it would be like tanked, red, tanked, red, tanked, red. So mm -hmm. if I drink two to three days a week, Drinking always affects you the next day as well. So your recovery shit that day and then your recovery is going to be shit the next day. So honestly, oh, I'm only drinking two to three days a week. Okay, well, cool. It affects you for six. Yeah. So you've got one really sober day because you're spending one day recovering. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So what? I'm drinking two to three days, but I'm affected four to six. Made sense, man. I had to acknowledge, and that's that's part of where I'm at in my journey now, is being able to acknowledge these things where before they get way out of hand. If I start drinking seven days a week, well, training is not going to be really existent for me anymore. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I was able to kind of continue to work out, but I wasn't able to work out with intensity. But to go back to your question on the PTSD, what would you tell somebody? I would tell them to first start, before you even get to like the fitness part of anything, Start, start a gratitude list. Start a gratitude list of what you're grateful for. I don't have anything to be grateful for, for real. Every day you have, you wake up with a new opportunity to, to start, to try, you know what I'm saying? To work towards something. The second that you start working towards something, the, the quicker you're going. Every day we're either getting better or we're getting worse. It's your choice. What do you want to do? If you don't do shit, you're getting worse. If you do something, you're getting better. That's, it's all on you to invest in that. Us as people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. How do you feel about that? No, that's... Right. Hopefully that shit makes sense. Yeah, no, no. That's, to me, that's science. You know, you're either in a, a state of growth or a state of decay. Mm -hmm. And either you're going to invest in your growth. And we both know how hard it is to get up in the morning when you're in that dark place, get out of bed and, and do anything. Yeah. Like, I mean, I would definitely sleep a lot later. That's yeah. for sure. Now I wake up at five, five thirty. Sometimes I wake up before that. So when I was in that state, I would wake up and then immediately set my alarm for like three or four hours later. You know what I'm saying? Now I wake up at five. I create positivity for my day. I create a structure, a routine for my day. So another thing I would tell some, I would set have a gratitude journal, but wake up and go and get some movement in. Maybe go for a walk. Schedule yourself five things. Like, so our CEO, Andy Priscilla, we have a book. It's called The Power List. You have five tasks that you want to complete every day. I keep mine, mine are very simple right now because I'm just getting started back on like trying to build my routine and my plan and all this stuff, right? Because I mean, November, what was it? November 21st, you said the mm -hmm. post was? Man, I'm barely... 10 days, 12, two weeks into this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I got this book. It's called The Power List. Um, our Andy Frisella puts it out. It's got a page for your five tasks, some notes. 
what book you're reading. That's another extremely important thing is to be able to read books. You know what I'm saying? Non-fictional self-improvement books. Right now I'm reading Relentless by Tim Grover. Phenomenal book. Talks about uh, elite level mindsets like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, uh, Charles Barkley, guys like that, right? And then the other side I use for like my gratitude. So every day. So my tasks are right now, make, make the bed. I think somebody, I think you should make the bed every day. For one, when you go to bed, it feels good to get into a made bed. When you walk into a hotel, if the sheets were all shitty and stuff like that, how would you feel about that? Yeah. So it's the way I feel about my, like in the house, right? Like the bed's made, it's just feels good to get into a clean, you know, made bed, right? Make the bed, go to an AA meeting, get movement in, drink a gallon of water, read 10 pages of a book. Pretty simple shit. And that's, that's, that's how my days operate for right now. Once you go 21 days into that, <clears throat> he says that's that activity, that task has now become a habit. So rotate that out with something else, but keep that in there. So the first thing I'm going to take out will be like, make your bed and I'll add something else into it. Um, until you take those small things and they've now become a habit, like, the two things that I would like to remove out of it are like the read 10 pages a day and the the, the make your bed. And um, I always need to keep the drink a gallon of water in there because honestly, that's something that helps you perform optimally. If you don't have enough water, your brain can't function right. You don't function right. You don't process toxins out of your body. It's like trying to flow mud through a pipe with no water. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just going to sit there if it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. that's how things are inside of our body. If you're not hydrated, you're not going to function optimally. There, there's a lot of stuff that you're engaged in, you know, in the community, helping raise money, running these races. You've got uh, a strict regimen, you know, to keep your body in, in racing form, you know, right? Like, Preparing for a hundred miler, man, that's like, like how far in advance do you start training for that? Um, so I've actually not really done a ton of hundred, hundred mile training. Uh, the first time I don't, I probably shouldn't have even gotten through it. <laughs> um, funny story about that. Like, so my first hundred was actually done. I had to do it virtual because of everything shut down with COVID and all this stuff. Right. And <clears throat> the first time I tried to run it, I had to do a hundred miles, like consistently in one, like once you hit start on the watch, you've got 36 hours to do it. The first time I tried to run it the day before the, the run, there were several of us that were getting together to, to do the run together. I had done four sessions of hot yoga the day before. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Rookie mistake. That was dumb. I was depleted. Uh, at about mile 15th, I went face first off the sidewalk, cramped up, locking up, wanted to die, felt like I was dying. They carried me into Optimal Health 38. I got hit with two, two bags of fluids and um, started to feel really good. And they're like, man, whatever you're doing, don't go back out to it. Whatever you're doing, you need to go home and get some rest. 
I was like, all right, cool. I walked out the door and I was like, give me my fucking camel back. And I put in another 45 miles. So I never quit. But the, one of the people that I was running with, she got her 100 miles. So she got it done. And then like, I was like, kind of like broken spirited and stuff like that. My longest run up to that was 37.5 miles. That was on like the 2nd of September. I came back September 18th and ran the whole 100. I was still chafed between my legs. I still had blisters. I had toenails that were missing. Toes that were black. You know what I'm saying? Um, I chafed under my arms. My nipples were chafed. Still from, from that first time, you know what I'm saying? Because I honestly, I didn't know what the fuck to even expect. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I came back that time. Now my furthest run was 60 miles, but it was just a couple of weeks ago. Right. And I was pretty, pretty bad shape, but like mile 50, I changed my shorts off shorts out and I had some white liners in those shorts. And whenever I pulled them down the inside, the white liners were like pink where my groin was. Cause I was bleeding. You know what I'm saying? So I was in pretty bad shape. Uh, and that was kind of like a mental, a mental thing for me of like, bro, the goods are damaged. You know what I'm saying? Like you're in bad shape. Like your groin is like tore up. So I'm like, like just lathering on like Vaseline and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and just trying to keep everything slick. I held it pretty good till about like mile 76 and I couldn't really run anymore. My knees were like really starting because this is all on blacktop yeah. where I'm doing this. Um, I never, so with, when you do a race like this, you can't pause your watch. You can't like, and I had people with me the whole time that I was doing this to validate and verify and stuff like that, right? Because if you pause your watch, your start time and your end time is not going to match up with like the time that the, the clock stops. They'll be able to see, okay, this time to this time. Okay, well, 30, whatever. And, and I, okay, you should finish it exactly at that time. That's kind of how they verify your time, right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I get my 133 hours. before. The craziest thing took place uh, whenever I finished. I, obviously, I didn't know what the hell to expect from my body and stuff like that. Whenever I finished running, I sat down. And I start like shivering and stuff like that. Like my body's going into shock from the trauma that it's just going through. Right. The next day when my feet hit the ground, I was like, Oh my God. I like started crying. Like I was so emotionally drained from the run the day before. Like I couldn't cry or anything like that. Once I completed, I was super proud of myself, but I was like, this shit was stupid. That was dumb. That was wild. <laughs> I'm in a lot of pain. Uh, so next morning, my feet hit the ground and like tears start pouring. I was like, man, I can't believe I did this. This is so awesome. And I, but I couldn't step out of bed. Yeah. Like I had to go and like, when I, when I put my feet on the floor, I was like, uh-uh. So I turned over and I put my stomach on the bed and I like, kind of like slid down. And then like, I, I scooted myself to, cause we only had a shower downstairs, but upstairs we had a bathtub. So I had to like crawl up the stairs, get into the bathtub. I soaked in there for like three hours, probably slept for a little while. And then whenever I get out to go down the stairs, I look like a dog that had worms. Like I was dragging my butt down each one of this, just kind of like scooting down the steps to be able to get back down to downstairs to get back to the bed. You know what I'm saying? It was the weirdest little situation, man. It was like, I was like that for about like two or three days where well, about the second day I could walk, but I started cycling and stuff like that to try and get all that, you know, uh, lactic acid out and everything, all the soreness and, but the training for it right now, I'll probably, I'll probably have like the best training plan that 
that I've ever had is like, I'll, I'll, I'll pick my runs up to like a hundred mile weeks and stuff like that, or, you know, run 10 miles a day and then run a, a 25 mile day or a 30 mile day. That's really all you need to, to prepare for a hundred. You just have to have time on your feet. That's the most important thing is the, the because the amount of time that you're going to be, be on your feet is where all the, the trauma and stuff like that, like your feet is going to swell. Well, like if you've never been on your feet for that long, they're going to swell pretty quick. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like it's one of the, the first things to go. Cause that's, what's hitting the ground, you know, that or your intestinal, your organs, you know, shut down. We've covered a lot of ground, man. And I'm just, so two things, what are you most proud of right now? Most thankful for, you know, most proud of, most thankful for. So maybe that's two things. And then the, uh, third thing would be what haven't we touched on that you believe is very important for whoever's listening to, to take away from this conversation? Uh, the thing that I'm most proud of, I would have to say my mindset. I'm very proud and I'm grateful for that as well. I'm very proud of my, um, of the mindset that I've been able to create and where I've been able to go in the amount of time that I've done it. Like this should be something that I've worked towards my whole life. Well, guess what? I did. What I've got to right now has been what my whole life has prepared me for all the adversity, all the, all the challenges and stuff like that have gotten me to this point to be able to connect with people that's what I'm proud of. I'm proud that people can say, man, you are relatable. You know, I'm proud to be able to be humble and at the same time have an ego and have the confidence to be able to say, yep, I can do that. Or yes, I'm going to be able to do that. Or, you know, it doesn't matter. Yep. I'm going to be able to finish this to finish what I start. I might not finish first, but I'm going to finish with my team. I'm going to finish and I'm going to be proud of what I finished. I don't finish things always to finish first. I finish things to finish what I start because that's what I want other people to see in themselves. You don't have to finish first. Hey, it's great to be competitive, but make sure you finish what you start and don't quit. Like I'm proud of that. Never like there's in my Instagram profile, I have a quote it's die first, then quit. I'm very proud of that mindset of my heart can stop before I'm going to quit the pain. I'll tolerate the pain till, till whatever. What am I grateful for? Uh, I'm grateful for my community, my friends, my girlfriend, all the people that support me, my family. I'm grateful that, um, that I have the opportunities that I have, uh, to be able to do the things that, that I do. I'm grateful that I have the injuries that I have. I'm grateful for every piece of adversity that has ever hit me. And I'm, I'm grateful for what's coming in the future. I don't have sponsorship yet, but I'm grateful that I'll, I'm going to have sponsorship. So uh, if there's anybody out there that's listening and they want to sponsor an athlete that, that gives back to the community and gives back to people and stuff like that, man, I'm open and I need <laughs> some, <laughs> you know, I'm ready. I'm waiting on the contracts, man. The contracts are coming. You know, I believe it. I know it. Yeah. You know, I have faith in that. I know what I'm capable of and I know my value and I know what I bring to the table. I'm not a motivational speaker yet, 
but that's also coming too. I'm gaining confidence in my speaking and stuff like that. I'm not the best speaker in the world, but I got a story that 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 brings value to the table that people um, that I feel would uh, benefit from. The biggest takeaway that I would say would be if you start something, you finish it. Um, failure is a key to success. It's a key to you opening new doors. Nobody ever learned anything from just succeeding, right? Like take the hard road, take the path, path less traveled, create your own path. You don't go and model somebody else's life and then just get what somebody else got. That person that is winning and, and do, they had to build that win. They had to take a lot of losses. Like there are people out there that like, they spend their whole life creating this. My journey you're not going to be able to mimic my journey, but you can make your own through your own trials, tribulations, failures, and stuff like that to get you to the success that is designed for you. Everybody else is Everybody has greatness and success that they're capable of. Your potential is in your control. Everybody has the same gift. You know, time is our most valuable asset. But that second that just passed, that was an opportunity missed. Every second that goes by, every minute, every day, every hour is an opportunity you're leaving on the table if you don't take advantage of it. If you don't work, oh, man, I'm going to do it tomorrow. You just wasted a whole fucking 24 hours on procrastination. We're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it myself. I feel like I procrastinated my whole life. But I haven't because it's just the story is part of the, the adversity and the, the, the process that got me to this point. And you have the person that you become on the journey is more important than the end result. The person that you become is more important than the, the end result, the monetary value, all that stuff. The person that the character that you build, the person that you are is more important than that end result, that money and everything else that's, that's tied to you. If you chase that dollar bill, man, you'll never catch it. But if you chase being the best version of yourself, the money's going to come after you. To wrap up our conversation, I, I want to thank you for, for allowing me this opportunity to, to hear your story, to share your story with, with the listeners. And really, for those people that are struggling, the, the veterans, the the firefighters, the law enforcement have seen and experienced horrific things, you know, that you, you've given so much of yourself. And a lot of times when, when we get into that, that dark place and, you know, you're feeling alone and like not valued, not, not appreciated for what you've given of yourself, how you, you've, Know, broken your body and your mind for a cause for the, the something that you know you believe in and 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 you can you can end up making decisions that take it even deeper into that that dark space you know but that's not the end that's not the end of our story unless we let it be the end of our story and it's, it's stories like yours that I think can help others 
see like, man, like you freaking had warrants and shit, you know, like you, you made some decisions. Like we all, that's fucked up thing is that we, we make decisions and a lot of times it fucks up our life and, and it can make us feel even worse than, than before we made those decisions, you know, and, and you lose hope and you lose sight of what's important. You, you forget what your purpose is, or you like think, man, you know, I never really did have a purpose, but that's all bullshit. That's our fucking mind playing tricks on us. That's, that's us not really allowing ourselves to fulfill our, our potential. And you've given a lot of really good advice and, and that inspirational story of not just like overcoming that addiction and struggles of, you know, what it is to have PTSD and like, not just, not just that, but, you know, to have a traumatic brain injury, the, the combat, um, fuck man. Like I, I, I am so appreciative of you and, and all those like you, all those that, that gave yourselves to a mission and, uh, you know, and it's not over. You know, you're, you're continuing to give back and, and to help your brothers and sisters that, that came back feeling broken. And you've been able to like, not just say, this is my purpose, but you're showing the world your purpose and you're helping others. And it's fucking awesome man and and i just i really appreciate you taking the time today to you know share what you have shared because i know it's not fucking easy you know but uh for all those out there listening you know we've talked about your instagram and you know your instagram your facebook um can can you tell the the listeners like the best way to follow you and 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 you have these events like the set, like if people wanted to sign up and, and compete with you, how, how would they go about doing that? So on, on Facebook, um, my Facebook is, is, uh, is Jeff Spire. Uh, I'm sure you'll probably post how do you come in. I have a really fucked up way of spelling my name, <laughs> uh, but um, it'll be, it's Jeff Spire, whether it's on Facebook or, or Instagram, you know, I want to say thank you for sharing your platform with me. I really appreciate that. You know, you know, wanting to uh, tell my story to your listeners, and um, I'm very grateful to have opportunities like this um, for the people out there that are struggling. Create purpose for yourself. Get your body moving. Do some gratitude journaling. Find something to be grateful for because everybody has something to be grateful for. Whatever it is. You know, if you've got, if you don't have family or if you do have family, that's something to be grateful for. Be grateful for the challenges that you've had. The things like take your oddities and make them your commodities. That's some of the best advice that I was ever given. And it came through the program 
with Andy Frisella and Ed Milet, the RSA program group and stuff like that. Um, they said, take your oddities and make them your commodities. Take the things that you would normally have as like your flaws. Like I have nerve damage in my face and hey, you know what? I wouldn't change it for the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not the best speaker, but I'll tell you what, I'll go and roast myself in front of anybody and be like, you know what? That was fucking dumb. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, and, and then make it something funny. It's not fun to be scared of things, but greatness is on the other side of fear. You know what I'm saying? The, the universe, God, whatever has always took, taken everything and took the best things in life and placed them on the other side of fear. Fear is an intangible. You create it, you can destroy it. Yeah. It's not real. It's not a real object. It's what we set up in our mind. PTSD is a, is created by our moral compass being violated, and then it goes and it eats at you. It eats at you. It eats at you. And it like will just take everything that you were happy with, and like take it away from you. And that's we tolerate that because that's our mind playing with us, right? Like that's the demons inside of us our demons are us you know what i'm saying like our demons are our mentality that's tearing us apart you're struggling with those things man if you don't know how to deal with them i'm not a therapist i can't tell you how to deal with them follow me check me out man and i'll share the journey with you of how i deal with them and i'm not saying that i'll fix you but maybe you'll find something or see something that i do that'll maybe help you get to that point the gratitude journaling i share my journals dude i'm very i kind of like an open book i just put my shit out there people are like hey how do you uh how, what made you i was like because i don't give a fuck judge me if you want man that's on you yeah. you know what i'm saying i'm human i'm no superhero you should never make another person either like your superhero this is another thing that i've kind of learned by following some of these people uh like if you take and put like all this value into a human being, a human being will let you down because they just, they're, we're flawed. We're not Superman. We're not Batman. We're not perfect. We're not a cartoon, man. We are real freaking life and we will break and fall apart. And you know, like something can be broken in two seconds, but to heal something, that's where real patience takes place. You're not ever going to be fully healed but it takes a lifetime to make something better. Sometimes you can sh shatter and destroy anything in two seconds, but to put it together, how long does it take to build something? How long does something take to build? It takes a lot longer to create and build something than it does to destroy it. Yeah. So, you know, focus on, on your inner, you know, focus on your gratitude, focus on making yourself a better individual, focus on working on yourself daily. Sometimes like, it's just like, in your military career or whatever, they break you down first and then they build you back up, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You know, they go and they take you and they crush your mentality and then they turn you into this machine, this monster or whatever, right? Like, and that's okay. I would much prefer to be um, a warrior in a garden than be a gardener in a war. You know, there's a difference between being peaceful and being harmless. A person who is peaceful I hear people say, you know, oh, yeah, I'm peaceful, like I'm of peace and shit. And I'm like, no, you're fucking harmless. The difference between being peaceful and being harmless is a person that is peaceful is capable of great violence or being able to cause uh, catastrophic events 
causing great harm, but they choose to be peaceful. A person that is harmless is not capable of shit. It's a big difference. I choose, like, I'm peaceful, I'm not harmless. <laughs> but you are an incredible example of what the mind is capable of doing. Because, you know, I mean, your injuries and stuff, you were told that you wouldn't run. And like being able to just set your mind to something and overcome any physical disadvantages to accomplish your goals, it, it's mindset. And it's mindset that can help you crawl up out of that pit. If, if you're in that dark space right now, it's not the end. Don't give up. Yeah, I agree with that. Just keep going. My brother, thank you so much, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, dog. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.